Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sub Skipper Southie holds the fort, but Morgan's men find a way through. It's fair to say New Zealand are super over super overs. In the white clothes, life's a Mitch at the Mount as England knelt before BJ and got absolutely wagnered. Then found T. Lamb willing to wait for it and the Cookerborough a disobedient servant in Hamilton. Where next for England and New Zealand? And don't say South Africa and Australia. This is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast New Zealand vs. England Tour Review. Welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast, the weekly podcast from the world's leading independent cricket commentary provider, Gorilla Cricket. We're recording on the evening of Thursday, the 5th of December, 2019. Before we start, I want to add our voice to those expressing uh, sorrow at the passing of the great former England fast bowler, Bob Willis. He bowled like the wind uh, with Mike in hand. He knew what he did and he did it very, very well. And he deserves eternal credit for refusing to tour apartheid South Africa in 1982. I'm your host, Knuckle Mpande, and it's just me here in wintry Sydney. Uh, but in the light of a dawning New Zealand summer day, it's a hearty cure to our friend and yours, Tasneem Summer Shadiq Khan, who's been out there watching it all unfold. Hi, Nicole. How's it going? It's going very, very well here. Uh, yeah, we uh, enjoyed the enjoyed the tour in the uh, in the um, in the end. Um, before we before we get into it, I guess yeah. What's your your headline take on on the T20s, the Test, and the tour as a whole? So I'm going to take those one by one. I thought the T20s were just brilliant, were so much fun, were great, uh, exciting. The fact that I got another New Zealand-England super over within the space of, what, like four short months was phenomenal because I have had some memorable super overs this year, and it was just another one. Um, A little T11 match, uh, really enjoyed that. Thank you, Rain, for bringing that to joy to my life, which I'd never previously experienced or appreciated. But moving on to the test matches, I can honestly say it is the single most boring test series I have ever covered. Um, honestly, and, and, and I think um, George DeBell and I were, were out one night uh, before one of the matches. And, and I think I'm not the only one that's feeling that way. It was just dull, 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 dull. And, you know, that's that's not necessarily just about the cricket that was played on field, but a little bit of a mixture of everything. It could just be that this pre-Christmas time, um, a lot of us are are a little bit tired of the the five days where you know that it's incredibly likely you're just going to see another result, another and not even another no result and not even a battling draw, but just um something to to fill up the scorecards with so it's been a little bit of a mixed bag for me loved the t20s thought they were amazing could have happily had three one days in there as well but a two match test series mm, never really gets your blood going does it yeah there's something to be said for that and obviously the the world test championship has sort of um yeah by no fault of this uh, of this particular series kind of 
uh, a lot of people are treating this as a um, as as somehow has somehow lesser, which I'm not a big fan of. You know, New Zealand don't get to play enough Test cricket as it is, and we should be uh, and we should be treasuring um, what we do get. Uh, but uh, it's certainly true that the pitches did not make for uh, for the kind of cricket certainly we've seen in in Test cricket over the last couple of years. We've really we barely had a bad Test match over the past couple of years um even the the one-sided affairs have been you know entertainingly uh one-sided but but these pitches uh were uh, the kind of pitches that you had to be incredibly patient and um and kind of dogged on which i guess suits new zealand very well um but yeah it didn't always we were we were told by on the on a preview podcast that we we did with um, with Ian O'Brien that um, the pitches at Mount Manganui and Hamilton were likely to be pretty quick and you know would at least make run scoring yes, quick mate. quick run scoring easy. So what happened? What happened? Not wrong. It's just um not here right now is the only thing that both it's true for both of the pitches Hamilton probably Seddon Park probably has a little bit more in it but Mount Monganui tends to be quite flat of course Mount Monganui has never seen a test match and even with with domestic um four day five day games um doesn't really get much of that it's much more for the short uh format of the game it is an insane heat wave out here in New Zealand it is the absolute start of the summer and it's been a scorcher. I have been sunburned on about five various occasions. And and it's just not something that my British ass was prepared for. It's really early in the year for weather like this. And I think what has happened is that the groundsmen have tried to mitigate for the heat a little bit by maybe overwatering. Um, so what it's ended up producing are relatively slow and boring pitches. I don't think it was purposeful. I think it was by virtue of the unusual weather for this time of year. Um, but it's a little bit of a damn shame, really. Um, you know, I, I think the pitches and the lack of the World Test Championship points on offer and the two-match series are part of um, what I am deeming the most boring test series I've ever covered or the most boring cricket I've ever covered. But I think there's actually one other factor, and that is that both sides, I'm not going to blame one side for this, both sides treated this as a warm-up for, for the rest of their summer. You know, England's getting back into the rhythm after a couple of months off post-county um, championship, post-World Cup, to get into the swing for South Africa. And New Zealand is doing the same. They use this as prep for Oz. Um, and personally, I don't think either side fulfilled their intentions of preparation that well, in all honesty. I spoke to a lot of the guys, a lot of the England guys, um, a few of the New Zealand guys as well and everyone's just so chill it was like we were all on vacation you do often get that watching, i think it's probably something you kind of got that impression watching new zealand during, at times during the during the world cup which is i think it's part of their their great strength that they're able to you know take the rough with the smooth and it, it you know it comes from uh we talked a lot in a in the preview podcast and through the series about the captaincy of kane williamson and how he he, he leads yep. the team in in this image, but in his image. Uh, but you look at the in terms of prepping for South Africa and Australia. Certainly for England, I don't think these pitches were much help at all for what are likely no. to be, um, if recent evidence is anything to go by, really fast and bowler friendly pitches in in South Africa. Um, oh. uh, yeah, New Zealand have a have a high class attack too, probably. A more, a certainly more experienced attack, maybe not more experienced, but more settled attack than than South Africa's. But I don't know how much help at this these pitches were going to be uh, for facing Kaiser Rabada and Lungi Ngidi and Vernon Philanda on on those pitches. Um, having said that, the bowlers, well, I'm sure, will will absolutely love bowling uh, on those pitches. They're broad and broad and Archer in, in particular, uh, who I don't think bowled badly at any point in the series. I thought Jofra Archer. Um, I've got written in my notes, Jofra's fine, calm down. Um, interesting, interesting note. I I did a series review for the Cricketeers um a couple of days ago, well the day that the test match finished, and one of my main talking points was Jofra. Um, I really like the guy. This is not a, a criticism of any sort, but I found him um quite off this series. Um, the pitches. I mean, a main reason for that I think were the pitches, and then a desire not to um overexert on pitches that were not going to actually assist him at all because you know you've got the rest of the 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 English off season 
um, or I guess the Southern Hemisphere summer to to look forward to. So you wouldn't want to do anything foolish. But um, I just I found him not quite there. Uh, and really, I think my conclusion would be that he is so young and he is so inexperienced in terms of traveling the world and adjusting his bowling for various pitches globally. I believe it's his first time in New Zealand as well. I think it's something that's going to come with age and experience. We've seen that with fast bowlers in the past. We've seen them highly successful on the pitches that they are accustomed to. And then and then they adjust. They find out, you know, where to change their lengths, what to do with their speed um, to adjust to different pitches. And I think that that fuller length just would have been a little bit better um, on the pitches here in New Zealand, as would have that that you know tempting wide offside, uh, wide outside off stump. Um, but you know it, it's a process. I don't think that there's any reason to complain or exclaim about him or anything like that. I think it's a matter of experience. He is not um, he's not a fast bowler in the vein of a Shoibakhtar Ali, where he's just so continually fired up. That that that's where he gets his energy from. It's it's it comes from within him. He's a very calm character. And in fact, um, I had some very, very calm, chilled out evenings hanging out with him. And it's actually remarkable from from his personality, um, holistically, that he does bowl as fast and fiery as he does. It, it's, it was hard to contextualize the guy that I was chilling with, with the guy who was bowling at Steve Smith in, in the ashes the way that he did. Yeah, we mentioned, yeah. Bob, we mentioned Bob Willis at the start of the show. And, you know, Bob Willis was not angry exactly, but you know, was uh, could get up to those. Um, could can, you could see the I adrenaline so. pumping through him, and you could see in his body language, and you know the way he talked as a pundit as well. You know, he'd uh, he'd express it in sort of quite clipped in clipped ways, but you could yes. you could see his blood getting up, and you could see it with Michael Holding sometimes when he gets. Uh, comes off his long run in terms of compensating. But, you know, Jofra Archer, Jofra Archer said during the series that he is actually, he's only been this quick for the last couple of years. And so he's used to bowling long spells and um, with rhythm being the uh, the thing that he, he searches for more than anything else. I thought at times at Mark Monganui, his rhythm was off in the first innings, but I, I was yeah. pretty impressed with how he bowled at Hamilton. I thought the uh, the way that he adjusted to uh, to bowling rather than bowling length, bowling a lot of genuinely short balls. And he used the slower ball more than, um, more than he has at any point in his, uh, in his career so far. But you're right, we should remember Joffrey Archer is incredibly exciting, but his career is now six test matches old. He's 24 years old. That's the first time he's ever bowled with the Red Kookaburra. Um, going back a long time now. Um, what are we talking now? 12 years, I think. Uh, yeah. well, 13 years, we're going back to James Anderson's first tour of, of Australia and he really struggled. But yeah. you look then in 2010-11 and to a slightly lesser extent 2017-18 and he was superb. Um, and that comes with, as you say, experience and, and learning that, that craft at the at the highest level. Uh, which is kind of why I'm coming back to the point of, you know, people, people panic when Joffrey Archer doesn't take a wicket every eight overs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's unnecessary. And, and I think it's not great for um, a bowler's confidence or performance. But but I think Joff is fine. I think he's absolutely fine. I don't think he um, he's worried about it at all. It was just really more a shame, I think, to see the incident that we saw um, where mm-hmm. he was uh, abused at the Bay Oval, which was a real shame. It was I can just, I, I can promise you it was so it was such contrast to the vibe of the Bay Oval, which was just absolute pleasure to be in and around. Yeah, I, I wish the pitch had been had been as good as the surrounding. I've been... I think all the stuff... Sorry, say that again, please. Sorry, I, in fact, I'll, I'll kind of leave that point there, but I just, I want to want to talk about, we should, we should talk about the... Uh, the racial abuse that Joffrey Archer uh, suffered, and he was he was very quick to uh, to call it out. And New Zealand cricket were, like were were quicker than some bod- governing bodies have been uh, to. I don't know how. I don't know if they actually found the guy, but uh, to at least they, say they're doing they all the right things to to call him. Oh, they have identified him. They have identified him, or they've identified the the alleged um, abuser um, to, to to be legally accurate, and they have handed over CCTV footage to the police. Um, personally, I think it's a really interesting situation because uh, we can do a lot in society, but we won't necessarily prevent 
those individual assholes from being the way that they are. I think what's a lot more telling about our society and our sport is the way that we all react together. I think that the um, Black Caps reacted fantastically. New Zealand cricket were great. Um, they they and I, and I spoke to a lot of individuals from New Zealand cricket who were appalled and upset that it happened on their watch. Um, the reality is it happens on everyone's watch. It happens everywhere. There is no beautiful country immune from from that type of behavior. But for me, it's incredibly telling how you as a industry or a, as an organization react to something like that. It was very much an isolated incident, um, but they at no point did they rest on the laurels that, oh, it's only one guy, don't worry about it, it's fine, this kind of thing doesn't usually happen, which my understanding is it doesn't happen a lot in this part of the world. Um, so they could have been quick to, to dismiss it, but they weren't. Um, so, you know, really, really into that. I think it was a really great reaction. Everybody was really supportive um, from from the, the England setup to the England, um, his teammates, um, to, to the Kiwis. So it's it's great. And I think um, calling out that type of behavior and, and I, I'm really glad that Joff, because because, you know, you, you and I are both minorities who will have seen this um, many, many, many times in our lives. And we also know how much minorities experience individuals like this and then and uh, individual incidents like this and just stay quiet because we've seen it before. We've also reported it before. We've also seen nothing happening before. So you get complacent and you just think, oh, well, it's just another one, you know. So you don't say things. So I'm really glad that Joff is in a place where he feels the need to tweet about it and out it and 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 confront it. I think it's fantastic um, because you do get a lot of abuse. I, I wrote a piece um, for Stuff It and I had a lot of comments in response saying, um, well, what if Joffre is lying? So the natural assumption oh, from, from a lot of people. Oh, I know, I know. It's ridiculous. The only, you're only going to say that if you're not a person of color. So you have no idea how common incidents like this are. And, and the fact that not only do we have no need to lie about them, but we have no intention to be known or defined by the color of our skin and racist incidents that occur to us rather than any other part of our, our careers or personalities or whatever the case might be. But but I had a lot of those responses. The, oh, you know, if he's telling the truth, which is ludicrous, to be completely honest. But that is, that's where we're at in society. So I really respect that Joff called it out. Um, and he's not just sitting back and taking it and thinking, oh, yeah, just another one. I'm used to that, um, which which was great, um, because obviously it's going to make a lot of people uh, come out and say not in our sport, not in our name. We're not OK with it. And maybe we will start confronting some of the um, systemic issues with the sport as well. Maybe it'll be great. I think what's always encouraging is that he as you say, he felt able to to speak out and was and was supported for it. I think uh, apart from the. So there's what you what you describe as as a reason for not for not speaking out um, is is true, but I think another reason is that you genuinely don't think that speaking out will do anything. You don't think that you'll be backed. You you, be you think that you'll be on your own. And you think you're just making more trouble for yourself by making yeah. more of a target by by speaking out. But no, Joffrey Archer pretty much immediately uh, and you know without spelling it out because nobody needs that on their timeline. Said what you yeah. know pretty much repeated what the guy said and. Um, New Zealand cricket, you know, the the CEO well, made it not just an apology, not just a, a condemnation of behaviour, but a personal apology to Jofra Archer. Yeah, um, you know, nice touch, personal apology. Personally, I think, I think how seriously they take the the incident is is what I would have needed. I wouldn't have needed a personal apology, but I think it is it's encouraging, especially because we've seen an incident in New Zealand rugby quite recently where. Um, uh, during a Sky Sports broadcast, a player was referred to as a quote unquote Jew um, for not wanting to pay for his own wedding and for wanting, you know, like women's magazines like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, that thing that celebrities do where they get people magazine to pay for their wedding or whatever. So out of out of this type of incident, um, a player was called a Jew for not wanting to pay for his own wedding. And there's um there's an employment tribunal going on um. A, a, over that in in New Zealand rugby at the moment. So so it's it's just I just really wanted to kind of highlight and say that although we might we've seen a lot of this in England and Australia, those are probably the two most famous places for incidents like that. Nowhere is immune from it. You know, you've got the same type of people globally in every country. And um and it's a sad part of our our culture globally, but but it's really I think more about our reactions and 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 us 
you know, coming together and saying that you can't do that and we don't respect people who do this. So it was just an individual. And and I'm I'm glad that, that the Black Caps um, management took it seriously enough to try and identify him. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And, you know, we can contrast it with a couple of incidents. You know, the continuing um, employment by at least some people of Israel Folau in Australia. And, and something that came up during the T20 series... A, a certain New Zealand cricketer who has uh, behaved badly towards women uh, without without going into legally difficult territory uh, and to, against which fans have protested in the grounds and publicly protested in the grounds about which New Zealand cricket have done and said very little. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know how much you want to talk about that incident. Because I think, um, like, I mean, I, I maybe talked it to death about a year ago, and I know that you recently, um, you know, had a had a piece about it as well. But but I think it is a very tough situation for New Zealand cricket, that one. I would have handled it very differently than they did personally. Um, and I think it would have avoided some of the problems that, that have been raised for them. But I think there is a massive, massive, massive difficulty, uh, both a legal one and a social one, when somebody has been acquitted of a crime um, or, or rather, you know, they were found not guilty, whatever whatever that means in, in the situation of rape charges anyway. Um, and, you know, you can't point to, you can't point to legal guilt or a legal standard of guilt and say, this is why we can't have him back in the side. Uh, but I just want to contrast that with very different situation, but it's a good contrast. I want to contrast that with Alex Hale's drug ban and his removal from the England World Cup squad he is an incredibly valuable one day player he's one of our best he's one of the world's best he you know holds several records obviously but owen morgan and and management drew a line they said that that um recreational drugs are not a behavior um that we condone in the culture of the England cricket side, and therefore we will not be considering him for for the World Cup squad. He'll be removed from the World Cup squad. So you know he didn't technically do anything wrong, Alex Hales, in the sense that that the the punishment, let's call it for for a repeat offence, was not removal from a squad. Um, but he was removed from the squad anyway because Owen Morgan and Co said this is not the culture that we're trying to promote. So you know legal guilt or or um, you know, some kind of formal standard of guilt is one thing. And then the adherence to a positive culture that grows something, that espouse positive values, that that all of that, that's a totally other side of it. So I actually have a lot of I'm a big fan of Alex Hales, as I think everybody probably knows. But I actually do have a lot of respect for taking that position. We're building something. This is what we want that something to look like. And we will not compromise on those values. I, th I think that there's a lot to be said about that moral position, personally. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things on the on the on the Hales case. Um, well, but before I get to that, you know, obviously, you know, uh, a a legal standard of guilt and a a selection or non-selection uh, by a particular employer aren't the same thing. And I think anyone who's even remotely looked into rape conviction uh, rates will will know that the legal standard. Um, can't be taken really as a useful moral guide uh but as far yeah. as as far as the alex hales things goes my understanding of it wasn't it's not so much that he he took whatever he took it was that uh he tried to cover it up as he has done in the previous incidents including the, the ben stokes case and there's a there's a kind of more directly relevant case with um with tom cole cadmore uh and joe and jordan clark uh, who were um, caught up and sort of uh, caught up is the wrong word, but uh, who were close associates of Alex Hepburn, the Worcestershire cricketer who was convicted of and jailed uh, for um, for rape, um, and were were featured prominently in the WhatsApp um, in the WhatsApp messages that formed part of that trial. And England said publicly that they won't be considered for selection anytime soon. Yeah, well, don't forget that they um, they were. Uh, found to have breached. I'm trying to remember what the um, standards are called, but the um, the player standards um, 
under the ECB and they were looked at under an independent body. Um, they were found to have brought the game into disrepute. So it does make sense. They made that statement while those um, those situations were the procedures were pending. And then after the procedures were finished, they did receive, I believe it was a five match suspension. Um, most of it was served during, I think all of it, in fact, was served during um, the proceedings, during the investigation stage. Um, and they got a fine as well. I believe it was £3,000. I really should know this because I've actually read a piece about it in this um, this in current issue of The Night Watchman. And it's just completely flown out of my head because I've only had this one coffee this morning. But so they, <laughs> they, they did actually receive punishments for it i don't know how serious those punishments are that's that's a moral question it's for people to to think about themselves um of course they did nothing legally wrong that's another point to be made but i think it's really important how boards not only look at spectators who are involved in the sport and obviously the administrators themselves but players too if if we want a good, clean game, and good, clean game means a lot of different things, then we're going to have to take the issue seriously. And I do think that that we're pushing and keeping a lot of people out of the game. I know that New Zealand cricket has alienated some of its female fan base um, and, and some of the women involved in the sport because of the Kugeline situation, as difficult as a situation that may be to handle. Um, I'm sure you would have seen the female journalists whose, um, whose protest banners were removed um about this time last year when kugelan was um um reintroduced back into the side so it's it's been a difficult one for sure um i don't really know how people would have preferred it to have been handled but i think that we can agree that however it was handled was probably not the best yeah, um, well, we'll just draw a line under this by saying, you know, you can read my piece at my at my website, knucklepandy.com. You can read Taz's pieces um, at, at stuff and the and the piece that's coming out in the uh, in the Night Watchman. But we should get back to uh, to on on field uh, matters. Um, in the there's there's perhaps more to discuss almost in the uh, with the T20s because this this Test series kind of felt for England like a, I mean, particularly with the very sad death of Chris Silverwood's father-in-law and having to to go home it felt like a bit of a false start for uh, for England but um then with the with the, with the test yeah. with the test matches i think uh joe roots obviously welcome return to runs if not to form um will take a little yes. bit of a little bit of pressure off um we we've seen that um you know he of the the fab 4 is now a you know a terrific 3 and root is somewhere outside of that i think in the the icc rankings as much credence as you want to give those uh, we'll 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 let you know that with uh, Coley Smith and Williamson one two and three and root down at eleven. But I thought that was admittedly on a on a not particularly uh, dangerous pitch, um, a really ruthless innings. Uh, the Joe Root two hundred. Yeah, I I think it was a match losing innings to be honest. Um, where he needed to put the pedal to the metal, he did not. And oh. Okay, it's fine. I know what he was trying to do. But if you want to use New Zealand's own MO against them, then you're going to have to execute it well. For me, the execution wasn't there. The runs were great. It's great to see Joe back in the runs. Um, it's something that I've wanted to see for a very long time. A big fan of Joe Root, the batsman. But I think as a captain, it became a match-losing innings for me. It was, it was just a matter of never accelerating um or far t- and then and then watch try to have a quick bash uh which just shouldn't shouldn't really have gone that way yeah well, i'm actually drawing innings technically but yeah i get i get i take the point and so you, so you think that root should have declared earlier at some point in in hamilton yeah yeah true okay i take it hamilton yeah other or Claire earlier and and just plan trying to streak through the Kiwi batting line either or just seems to be into minds about it um which is a shame but it's still nevertheless it's good to see him back in the runs it's it's a step towards like a positive result there isn't it yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, a double hundred should should give one confidence, and he looked he looked pretty 
look pretty in control yeah. and maybe that, that technical change that the, he made to try and get a little bit closer to further across to off stump is, is finally good. paying dividends. Uh, a lot was made of England's yeah. a lot a lot was made of England's selection for that for that game, leaving out Jack Leach going in with the four seat five seamers, four and a half seamers, you know, Ben Stokes was inadvisedly bowling on one leg again. Um, we couldn't quite understand what the plan was from here. Did you guys have any better sense of it over there? Um, I think that Jack Leach is, I'm just going to say what I want to say. I, I think that Jack Leach is no frontline spinner. I don't think Jack Leach was particularly helpful at the mount, even though the mount broke up a little bit more and it was way, way, way hotter and drier out there. I don't think Jack Leach would have been particularly beneficial at Hamilton. I think the issue here is, is a squad selection and not, and not your playing 11. I am, um, you and, and you and I have talked about Jack Leach at length. I don't think he's even close to the best spinner in England. Um, I think he plays on tracks which probably pump up his records a little bit. Um, I don't think he would never be as much as I do respect him. And I really do. He would never be my frontline spinner to to take anywhere in the world. Um, Definitely not New Zealand. I I think, you know, I don't think Satner is necessarily a glorious spinner either. He doesn't really even turn the ball. But at least he's playing on home pitches, so he knows somewhat how to exploit them. I only say somewhat because his still still his best long format um, uh, figures are, are, are a threefer. And I think if spinners are taking a threefer, they're nothing to go... Like, they're not people that you want to put down in your history books. They're just the best of what you have at the moment, which is fine. Santner's not even the best of what the Kiwis have to offer. Um, it was odd to not pick Somerville or tell i know they wanted the extra batting option and that's why they went with santner and obviously it paid off with him scoring his his first test um his maiden test hundred and his fourth um first class hundred and that that you know definitely helped the the winning cause at mount manganui but it, it wasn't about jack leach for me for me and i know that this must have been mentioned with gorilla before not having a specialist an actual wicket keeper is a huge problem mm-hmm. an even bigger problem is having a young a young player who is making his first foray into this level of cricket, who is incredibly promising, and he is a batsman that you have decided to chuck some gloves at and add an additional worry that does not need to be there. I don't think that's what you do to a batsman like Pope. Um, So it's odd, and I know most of us probably said it when Ed Smith announced the selection a few months ago. I I know I had a bit of a Twitter meltdown about Pope and and about 20 people, about 20 dudes decided to tell me that Ollie Pope is a wicketkeeper. And watching his footwork, I coach 11-year-old girls, and if I saw footwork like that, I would just say to them, you're sorry, sorry, gals, sorry, 11-year-olds, you're just not naturally a keeper. I advise that you stand at second slip. His footwork was, um, he's not a, he's not a wicket keeper. Um, so why do that to him? Why put that in his head? Why add an additional concern other than you are going to be England's premier batsman one day, please kiddo go work on it. That's all I want to see from him. Yeah, I think it was, I, I, I'm not as down on Pope's keeping as you, as you were, you know, obviously he'd never had to stand up to the spinners and it was a much more friendly pitch, but he, he was okay. There was a slight impression that he was a, you know, a good fielder with, with gloves on. Um, you know, I think Josh Butler looks a more natural exactly. keeper and certainly Ben Folks, who uh, who didn't make the tour. Um, and, you know, his his non-selection um, for this tour um, kind of looks a little bit, well, it looked a little bit silly at the time and it, looks, it looked very, very silly when Butler tweaked his back in the gym. Um, but yeah. I, I think it is, regardless of whether you, of whether you think Pope is a decent keeper or not at international level or a good enough keeper at international level, uh, I think it, it's. A, I think the way they've treated him is really odd. You know, he's a yeah. real. He's an incredibly po- promising middle order batsman with That's... a you know a world leading record. Uh, who bats very well at mostly at six at the time. Uh, so he, when he first got picked against India last summer, he got picked at number four where he never batted before twice against a good attack uh, on on pitches that were doing a, a fair bit. And you know he got um, no, he didn't get found out exactly, but he he got himself out a couple of times um, because yeah. there weren't many free runs on offer. And then in, in this tour, he plays one game in his position number six and then has to take the gloves. And he, he batted, you know, he scored his first ever 50. It was a very slow uh, innings. He, the amount of yep. the amount of um, beautifully timed shots he hit straight to fielders, I don't think he's probably hit that many shots straight to fielders in his career uh, in, a, <laughs> in one game. 
in one game before, but you know he got the runs on the board, and it's something. Um, but yeah, I think it absolutely. would be it would be incredibly. I think it would be a massive misuse of him for if he was to have to do yes. that again. Um, you know, particularly with England, the tours that England have got coming up, they've got South Africa where the pitches bounce a lot and the ball moves after it pitches, and then and then Sri Lanka yeah. where you absolutely can't yeah. take anything but your best wicketkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. I know what it is. It's it's modern cricket and it's confusion as to um, players performing at least like dual specialist roles. You you can't just be a batsman today. You have to at least be a batsman and a specialist fielder or a batsman and a bowler and a batsman and a wicket keeper. However, I think when there are batsmen like Barbarazim or, or Pope that we're talking about don't force them into positions that they don't naturally work in let them just bat big let them do what they do best what i think is incredibly interesting is not just from the keeping side but the lack of folks selection also was found out from the batting um you know england england's batting is sometimes glorious to watch sometimes incredibly disappointing where we see people like joe root our, our best batsman since since cook give it away you know, just absolutely give it away. I think that Folks is a much more dogged batsman who really genuinely digs in and, and is quite necessary, with the exception of Stokes, who I, I I haven't seen give it away in a very long time. Even in the first test, he just got a very good ball, didn't he? And ended up chopping on. Oh, no, the, f- the first innings, I think he and Pope both attacked. I think he batted pretty well in, on day one, but on day two, tried to attack too early. I think Stokes... Gave away Roots dismissals at the Mount were bizarre, frankly, in, in both innings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I think folks is, is really, really, really sorely needed in terms of England's batting lineup as well. And there's a lot of problems here. Um, I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world, but I think that I think it's very much a let's go to the drawing board and figure out exactly what we're doing. That's not quite working. Um, we should have been competitive. In, in New Zealand against a strong New Zealand side. And there were very few points of the test series where I felt that England were indeed competitive. Wokes was a great selection. Yeah, that was a surprise to a lot of people, actually. Um, Chris Chris Wokes bowled a, probably as, as well as he's ever bowled overseas in test cricket for England. He bowled very well. He got the ball to swing both ways. Uh, yep. He used his slow ball uh, extremely well. Um, and as um, well, has opened the door for himself in come South Africa uh, at time of recording that squad's yet to be selected although we understand it's going to be selected pretty soon I mean um, Any day now. well yeah possibly I mean they were planning to announce it basically as soon as the squad got home which should be basically now um, which, which seems a bit which seems like not giving people a lot of time to recover why why bother waiting uh, but but yeah Wokes has opened the door for himself I think Sam Curran was useful for England uh, at times um, but with with Anderson coming back fit again um, one would imagine that both Curran and Wokes are likely to be um, outside of the, out of the playing 11 at least for the Boxing Day test match and possibly fighting for the same place in the squad yeah, it'll be interesting, and I think South Africa's a very different creature, and, and I think that probably, we'll probably take it a little bit more seriously, which is a, a shameful sentence to say. I, I, I don't think that that New Zealand was necessarily taken lightly because they're New Zealand or because because of the World Test Championships or anything like that. I think it really was kind of a warm-up to, to the um, the Southern Hemisphere summer. Um, and it really was for both sides. It's it's Even here in New Zealand, the media has constantly been looking forward to the Oz series. Um, you know, they, they do have a... a long-standing um you know rivalry with 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 Oz anyway um it kind of is their benchmark uh in terms of cricket so it's it's just going to be the case I think that that this series is always was always going to be a little bit slow particularly with the two test matches particularly with certain players being rested after an incredibly long English summer so long started in March and didn't finish until the end of September and and I think there are people who were just watching and not even playing that are probably cricketed out and tired from that. So, so it's, it's understandable what England's position is and, and, and you can't completely um, scoff at the idea of, of playing people like Zach Crawley, although there are probably definitely, well, there are definitely better selections or suited selections in um, England's domestic setup than Crawley. Um, But, but you know, it's, it's, 
it's part of England's interesting take on test match cricket. Um, I'm not one of those people that's down on it. I think that taking a different approach to test cricket can absolutely work. You've just got to get it right. And and that's a process. And I think that England will be on their way to that process. And I think that this South African side is not as strong a side as, as the Black Caps are. Um, Certainly, you know, not. They're gonna be, yeah. Yeah, the Black Caps are a strong side. They're, you know, number two in the world. They're incredibly good at home. Um, and and they're very well versed on on their pitches, which are interesting and are different from English pitches. So different, but but not so different that you necessarily understand quickly how to adjust for them, which um, is its own unique challenge. So I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, I think England probably actually has a better chance in South Africa than, than we did out here in New Zealand. And I don't think that we're going to take it lightly because of the World Test Championships. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd make England... And uh, really, it's hard to... Other I'd make England's favourites going into South Africa with, with, with England's first choice attack and South Africa's kind of half a batting lineup that they've got. You know, two good openers, Bavuma, Holt, and Faf trying to hold it together in the middle order, and Quinton de Kock, who can be devastating, but um, if he's in, if he's in too early, can't really do um, what you want him to do. Um, but a batting, yeah. a batting attack that got brutally exposed, a batting lineup that got brutally exposed uh, by India's pace bowlers on far less helpful pitches uh, than we're likely to see in South Africa, and a bowling attack that, um, while very good and has superb numbers. Um, can't bail you out all the time, uh, even on really helpful, helpful pitches. But you know, with Anderson, Broad, and Archer, uh, and Stokes are two at, um, at full pace. Uh, sorry, at, at full fitness uh, on helpful pitches. You know that England that that's an attack that can that can win you Test matches. As far as the spinner goes, we it remains to be seen whether Moen Ali uh, gets gets picked again, um, which it could well happen. Uh, we've been uh, led to believe that he's um, in a in a fit state to come back into. Uh, into test cricket other Rashid um, he has said that he wants to play test cricket again whether his shoulder can can, can hold um... up uh, can hold up is is another question or whether he's saving himself for for Sri Lanka um, one interesting thing that came has come out in the last couple of days is that um, you know England have this new uh, opening pair in Burns and Sibley and Rory Burns is again did well Dom Sibley you know, you can see what he's trying to do. It's after two tests. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. Let's, see. Like, let's not get overexcited. No, like, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, no, okay. Let's yeah, let's see how it goes with Sibley. It's two tests. You can't really judge that much. You know what he's trying to do, um, which that much is obvious. Um, he scored two runs in in uh, in four innings on the offside. Um, yes, let's, yeah. it, um, it was it was, it was the probably the first time I've done this. Actually, counting up the number of balls until he scored a run on the offside, which I think. I think it was his 69th ball in Test cricket that he scored his first run on the offside. I don't know if that's a record, but I don't know if anyone's ever counted before. Um, but we, Keaton Jennings, may be picked uh, for Sri Lanka as a uh, as a spin spinning pitch specialist. So England potentially going horses for courses with the batting, which I don't think many Test teams have done. Um, you know, unorthodox approaches that's a great to great idea. Unorth- I love it. Unorthodox approaches to Test cricket worked last time England were in Sri Lanka. Let's see. Uh, how this goes. Sri Lanka, by the way, have uh, today appointed Mickey Arthur as their head coach. They did indeed, which is incredibly exciting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mickey Arthur. I think he's been quite badly treated by a couple of his uh, employers. Interested to see how that goes. But uh, we should, um, before we before we wrap that up, talk about the, the T20s. And, and with two T20 World Cups coming in the next two years, uh, or three years, no, two years, in fact, yeah, technically. Two um, years. It's quite, it's quite important. Obviously, England had Butler and Roy and Root and Archer and Moeen all uh, all missing from a potential first choice. And Stokes. Stokes may be first choice in the T20 uh, team. He will be picked. Whether he should be is another question. But um, certainly, you know, let's talk about the newbies. Sam Curran, I think, was really impressive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sam Curran, T20 is his format. You know, it really is his format. He's... um. He's good at everything else. I'm not going to insult the boy, but I think that is really kind of where he shines. Um, he is useful with the batting, as we saw. He's a good bowler. The variations matter. I think Curran's a great prospect for the future. Yeah, the Curran brothers bowled really well at the top of the innings and very obviously um, uh, took a lot of... You know, they mesh really well with, with Chris Jordan, who's become the, the leader of this England T20 yes. attack. Uh, Saki Mahmood, not so great for... 
uh, not so great for him. A little bit, um, a little bit one-dimensional, I think. Yeah, to be honest, um, I think it's early days. Uh, was lucky enough to to spend a decent amount of time with Sakeb, and he he knows what he's doing. He knows what he needs to do, rather. I think is the right way to put that. And um, he's very prepared to, to do it. We've seen him uh, being absolutely glorious in the NatWest T20 Blast. Um, that that match between um, uh, where <laughs> Essex just needed to go the distance. And all I was worried about was Sakib. Um, so I, I think that he's actually, he's on the path. And it will take longer than a series. And it is a challenging place to be bowling. Um, so he knows what he's doing and he's incredibly prepared to put in the work for it. I don't think he's one dimensional. I think he just came out that way during the series. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm judging him on what I, on what I saw in that, in that T20, in that T20 series. Yeah, he, he was trying to bowl as fast as possible and hit a back of a length. And that's a, you don't leave yourself much margin when you're trying to do that. Um, Lewis Gregory, obviously an incredible, you know, taking a wicket first ball in your international career is pretty good. I didn't really get to see much of what Lewis Gregory can, can do and what he's done for for Somerset so we'll leave that there uh, but the two guys who are getting everyone excited Tom Banton and Matt Parkinson yeah yeah no um Parkinson performed really well and he was instrumental in um in maybe I think what was the most exciting match without a super over <laughs> for me um yeah no I, I think that they've both been really really good for for England in that T20 format and they're exciting players um, I think from the Kiwi side, Glenn Phillips was just amazing. It was glorious to watch. I've been on the Glenn Phillips train for a while now. I think um, probably since um, he, uh, that series again, the T Twenty series against Pakistan, and then and then his various CPL um, uh, sojourns. But but I think that he's just such a player for the future. I think it's probably what what they thought Colin Monroe would be able to do, and he never never quite yeah, was able I've, to do I've got Monroe question mark in my notes. Colin Monroe's done great things in uh, in T20 internationally and domestically. You know, he... Uh, in, he, in, he, in every 10 innings. Yeah, I mean, no, those 10 innings are superb. And, you know, he's got, I think, I think it's only Rohit Sharma who's got more hundreds than him in T20 international cricket. That's and, you know, right, yeah. and, you know, hundred, hundreds are, are rare things. And, and, you know, he scores his hundreds very quickly. But he's someone who can be... He can be kept quiet a little bit uh, in a way that somebody like Phillips or Tim Seifert, I think he was pretty impressive at the top of the order, can't necessarily because he um, Seifert and Phillips both hit to, to more parts of the ground. Guptill is Guptill. You, you know, he's uh, he's a class act. Uh, Ross Taylor, I'm not sure that I... if I don't think you can carry Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson in the same 11. No, not for T20s. Not for T20s, and I don't think it's going to be long before we see um, Ross Taylor maybe just drop down to ODIs and test matches. I would agree with that. And Ross, Ta- Ross Taylor's overall strike rate over 95 or, or 90-odd games in... Okay, she can't be that many in T20 international cricket. Yeah, it might actually be. Uh, in, over a lot of T20 internationals uh, is barely seven and over, which just isn't isn't good enough. Kane Williamson finds a way to, to score that little bit quicker, even though he doesn't have that... Uh, that power, um, Jimmy Neesham coming back into into T Twenty international cricket after a couple of years away. Yeah, always good to see. I think Nish is a true competitor. Um, he's got fire in his belly, which the Black Caps sorely need, in my opinion. I think the one thing that they're lacking is is fire. Um, they're not cutthroat when at times they should be. I think that T Eleven match was theirs to lose, and they lost it. Um, and I, I think that Nish is is good for the side in that sense. He is a very he's he's got one of the better techniques in New Zealand in terms of batting. Um, he's a very solid batsman. Hits a long ball to use one of my favorite cliches, um, and he can be useful with the ball as well. I I think it's a great inspired decision. I think he is on his way to becoming a T Twenty specialist, um, and and. We're going to see a decent amount of him playing for the Black Caps in the T20s. I, a word for Blair Tickner, who was great, mm-hmm. uh, was really good to see him, you know, moving up from domestic cricket into the international side. That was lovely. Um, and David, with his insane century off of like, what, 50 odd balls. Yeah, I've got Milan, exclamation mark. Yeah, that was an extraordinary knock from, from Dow and Milan. Uh, it really was, you know. Owen Morgan was at the other end, and when you can make Owen Morgan look pedestrian, you know you're doing something right. I thought it, I, I thought it said a lot for the standards that Owen Morgan sets for this England team that 
afterwards, uh, what he was, he, the only thing he said about Darwin Milani is he should have run off the last ball. He's absolutely right, yep. by the way. Uh, but um, there's a conspiracy theory, by the way, going around that that was because he knew that Milan was about to announce his departure from Middlesex and was angry about it. But <laughs> which may or may not I, be true. Uh, but um, but yeah, I Milan think uh, announced but, his departure from Middlesex. He that signing was announced a while ago, um, and I think everybody everybody in the like, I mean, I knew about that in i knew about that when the county championship was still going on so i'm sure owen morgan also knew oh, about oh no, that he, oh no he knew but it hadn't become i don't think it had been publicly announced until a couple of days later obviously everybody knew because oh, really? these things don't stay secret um but no um but yeah darwin milan um in a, in a similar way to i guess how johnny bairstow did in the what in the one day arena before the in the sort of year or so before the 25th, uh, this recent World Cup, Darwin Milan is now undroppable from that T2011, and it's up to everyone else oh, to yeah. fight their way back in. Yeah, David is is on a different level, and he knows what he's doing in T20s, and he spent a decent amount of time when he couldn't crack into the England side. He was playing PSLs, like we're talking four or five years ago, um, and so he very much knows exactly what he's doing and the different pitches on which he needs to do it. Um, I, I think he's absolutely key. I think dropping David from from the T20 side is insanity. In fact, I would even think about him for for the test side. Some of our balance issues that that do exist in test cricket, I think we need to find, we need to strike a better balance between these high strike rate players or players who like to have a bit of a mo, as the Kiwis call it, mm-hmm. um, and and players like David who have several gears that they can go into. Yeah, that was noticeable of England actually. For, they were somebody. So you take so, well, not so much that is that is that lack of middle gear is that something that you know, is something that Kane Williamson does uh, does so well that middle gear and B J Watling um, too, who <laughs> amazingly we haven't talked about in kind of classic B J Watling fashion um, was absolutely <laughs> extraordinary at the Mount, uh, just ground England to the dust. We haven't talked about also haven't talked about Neil Wagner, whose fifth day bowling display on a really de- almost dead, not dead, but dying pitch. Um, was, I have was pretty no impressive. time for Neil Wagner taking tailender wickets and celebrating like he just, I don't know, dismissed Graham Smith or something. Like, I, I have very little time for that, to be honest. I, I, it's, it's I, I don't care how you, I personally don't care how you celebrate. Like, you're not going to stop Neil Wagner, you know, uh, charging and like and looking like his his head's about to explode in a fountain of blood. Like, you're just not going to stop that. And it's all it's all good. No, he won New Zealand a test match that they could have drawn uh did they win did he win new zealand a test match that they could have drawn or did england decide to play some shots that they probably shouldn't have been playing and should have been going for a draw instead I you think, know what i mean it's... i don't know i think Karen archer put a little bit more pressure on new zealand uh, than uh and also i don't think sam Curran or Jeffrey archer are either uh either of them are people who can just block out you know if you don't have that in your game their way of putting pressure on was to was to try and hit some shots try and get some men um, away from uh, out of the slip cordon and out of those short extra cover and short mid wicket positions, and it was starting to become easier. And New Zealand were getting visibly frustrated, apart from apart from Neil Wagner. But you know, uh, he also took a five for at Hamilton. By the way, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that. Yes, he did. Yeah, he's taken a lot of five for at Hamilton. He's uh, Northern Districts player, and uh, yeah, two of this two at Hamilton just this year. Yeah, yeah, he does enjoy that as a stomping ground. But uh, it was like a lot of individual performances were really up there within the series. Um, Yet, for me, it did not make a particularly thrilling series. Um, It's nice to see BJ finally getting recognized for what I think a lot of us have known for a while, which is that he is probably best wicketkeeper batsman in in the world, in in test cricket, anyway. Um, so it's, it's, it's really nice to see him getting a little bit of recognition because he does it in a dogged fashion. It's not necessarily exhilarating. It's not necessarily going to get talked about. Um, but, but, you know, individual performances sometimes win you tests, um, but they fail to make them thrilling or particularly, you know, fascinating. They're not must watches next necessarily. No, I mean, uh... Watching that innings lie gave you a much better sense of it than um, either on TV as I did or in the ground as you did. Um, gave you a much better sense of it than any kind of kind of highlights reel because it was just the way that he grounding them down completely and yes. just completely took the um, took out. Uh, there was no sense of tension when he was batting, and that's kind of what you want no. as a 
uh, as a batting team. Uh, Ian O'Brien yeah. said it on our on our preview podcast. I can never remember a single shot that BJ Watling plays, and that's why I love him. Exactly. That, that is exactly what I would expect Ian to say, and he's spot on. Yeah, BJ Watling, yes, best keeper batsman in uh, in in Test cricket um, at the moment. Probably has been for a couple of years, if we're if we're being honest um, about it. Um, but yeah, England in in the T Twenty format, um, you know, with a with a team missing a bunch of frankly emotionally exhausted players, beat a good New Zealand team in in New Zealand, uh, an almost full strength. In fact, it was a full strength New Zealand team in Test cricket. We don't really know the new era hasn't started yet. Um, really, um, we will know a lot more uh, when that South Africa squad is announced. And New Zealand just keep on New Zealanding. They are the second best team in the world. Yes. They're very very good at home. Uh, and now the spinners have found, or Mitchell Sant has found a way to uh, to start to start getting wickets. Um, I think in terms of um, you can't necessarily. Ju- I always judge a spinner from a lot in Test cricket of what they do hand to pitch, and I thought he's he's improved massively in the last uh, couple of years in terms of the repeatability of his action, how much work he puts on the ball, even on non-turning pitches, how he varies his flight, how he varies his pace. I thought he uh, he bowled very well, and I think it's you know you talked about Jack Leach. I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place with this conversation, but that's just kind of how it's going to be. Stick with it. Uh, keep up. Uh, you know, Jack Leach did a, a lot of uh, a lot of spinners, a lot of English spinners do um, in their first in their first tour on flat pitches. Graham Swan did it in that tour of the West Indies in 2009, where uh, West Indies won that first test uh, in Jamaica and then produced uh, three really flat pitches. Uh, he was. A bowling, you know, almost too well, a little bit too consistently. He was putting it in the same yeah. place all the time, getting it the same way, and that's fine if the pitch has a bit of bounce or a little bit of pace. But you need to be a little bit more subtle. And you know, Leach, I think, will learn. I think he's he's shown that he does have a li- he does have a good, um, a good understanding. Um, but you know, it's his first first tour of this this part of the world, and he's still still quite young. England, you know, do have some spinners that they can go to. Um, uh, by the way, we didn't even mention Matt Parkinson's um, first-class numbers are pretty solid. Um, yeah, and, and in the T20 team, you know, they've got Parkinson, Rashid, and Moen Ali, um, who could, in theory, all be, all three of them play, certainly two of them in any given 11, and a ridiculous embarrassment of riches at the top. Uh, at the top. Um, you know, if Alex Hales comes back, they've got Hales, oh. Banton, Butler, and Roy fitting into two spots. Yeah, um, I don't think necessarily Roy is being looked at in the same way as as Banton and maybe Hales if he's going to be welcomed back into the side. Um, I think it would be a good combo as well up at the top. Um, but Banton was promising. It's still early days, and I think that we need to be conscious of young players coming in, not over-criticizing them, not expecting them to to do absolutely insane things first up. Um, but but I'm I have a really great feeling about Tom Batten and and I think that's all you need at this early stage really. There's two T20 World Cups coming up in the next couple of years. It would be a massive surprise if Banton wasn't in at least one of those squads. But probably Butler and Roy are the go-to at the top of the order uh, for England in, in T20 internationals. And you'd be okay. You'd be okay with that, I think. You'd be okay with that, I think. Yeah, I would. I I would like to see Hales getting another chance, and I think that a lot of a lot of off-field things are probably will do. Um, for me, it's it's Alex. Um, but Jason Roy is a phenomenal limited overs player. Phenomenal, um, and I think that would make a really strong opening lineup. Yeah. I feel pretty good about his chances. Um, for for at least uh, the the World Cup that's a year away. Yeah, the one in Australia. Yeah, so uh, so not a uh, not a complete write off by any means uh, uh, as at all. Uh, plenty for England to uh, to take into this T uh, Twenty heavy next couple of years, and even in in Test cricket. Uh, yes, they were never quite able to. I don't think they were ever ahead at any point in the series, but not a complete disaster. We'll look ahead to uh, to the winter, and New Zealand have a chance now to to potentially go to to Australia and do what um, certainly what Pakistan could and be even vaguely competitive uh, uh, as much as uh, as much as there was some lovely uh, lovely stuff at times from uh, from Barber and Shafiq uh, during that series um, but the first ever box, first Boxing Day test match 
I think in my lifetime that New Zealand have uh, have got uh, against Australia uh, at the MCG, um, and certainly some uh, some fired up uh, fired up Kiwis. But um, that's all. Uh, that's all ahead. That's all uh, in the, at the end of this month. But we have come to the end of another jam-packed fun-filled edition of the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Uh, Taz, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Knuckle. Uh, and thank you to producer John. Remember, you can get the pod before anyone else by signing up as a patron at any donation level at patreon.com forward slash Gorilla Cricket. But if you are saving the pre-Christmas pennies, it'll be with you before too long on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and Podbean. If you're listening on iTunes, please do leave us a nice review and a five-star rating. Really helps us out. Whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please do share the pod with your cricket-loving friends. Uh, As far as Gorilla Cricket's future activities go, we will be doing a UK general election special starting at 10pm UK time on Thursday the 12th of December going as late into the night as we can bear it, so please join us for that. And we'll be cricketing it in your ears before 2019 is out. Follow us on Twitter at Gorilla Cricket, that's G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A for definitive uh, news on what we're going to be covering. But until we meet again, from everyone here at Gorilla Cricket, goodbye. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.